Hey everybody, welcome to the EquipCast. My name is Jim Jansen and I'm your host. And I just had a really fun conversation that I'm excited to share with you today. Some of you know Whitney, the producer, who's usually on the other side of the EquipCast, making everything back behind the scenes work, pulling all the strings. We get Whitney in front of the microphone today and it's awesome. Whitney is particularly good at driving our team for clarity. So she talks about the habit or the practice of clarifying the win. Just a fantastic habit practice for helping teams really know like what's the real goal here? What are we trying to accomplish? She talks about how powerful it is for flexibility, what it does to provide unity, and she lays out the steps to define the win for a team, for a family, for a particular project goal. I think this is application for business, ministry. It's a great conversation today. You're going to love it. So take a listen. Welcome to the EquipCast for the Archdiocese of Omaha. Designed to help leaders to transform their cultures, to embody the pastoral vision, to be one church, encountering Jesus, equipping disciples, and living mercy. Whitney Bradley, or as you are right fondly known to EquipCast junkies, Whitney the producer, Welcome back to the EquipCast. How are you? Thank you. I'm very good. Okay. So it is a little weird. It's like, well, you're not actually back because you're <laughs> never really gone, but, never you're, gone. but we Was turned on, on the microphone so, yeah. <laughs> so you can talk. We're going to have a lot of fun today because we're going to give people a peek inside Whitney's brain. And the, <laughs> that uh, sounds scarier than it is. <laughs> no, no. And the, and the parish support team, team dynamics. We're going to talk about a really fun essential practice called clarifying the win, a practice for just being effective in, I'm going to say ministry, but in work and in life, uh, family life, all sorts of applications on this. Before we get started here, love to ask the question, you know, like, tell us your story, tell us your faith journey. This is not your first rodeo or your first time on, <laughs> on the Equip cast. So tell us something we don't know about you. Yeah. No, it's not my first time. And I obviously know this question is coming. I'm the producer and we ask all of our guests, um, but I totally forgot to prepare this. Mm -hmm. So I am going to tell you about my prayer from this morning. I had the privilege of praying with uh, Beth Carlson, who's on the team, and three evangelization directors from around the diocese. And it was, it was really beautiful. And we prayed with the gospel. We did some Lexio. And I just very clearly uh, was aware of how the Holy Spirit reveals things in his time and not mine. And so, uh, especially with my strengths, he tends to give me a glimpse into mm. the direction that a parish might be going, what their next steps are. And again, I have the privilege of walking with a lot of people. So it's good that he does that for me. But I also have the tendency to want to run really fast and really hard. Mm -hmm. And that's not always in his time. So just hearing him, like first trust him that he is going mm -hmm. to move. The Holy Spirit will move in these people and in their parishes, but to trust him and his timing so that I'm not the one saying things, but I am waiting for when the moment is ripe. Mm -hmm. I hear a twofold grace in that. First is like very cool affirmation that you get a peek into the trend, where a parish is going, kind of what the Lord is doing, but then a very maybe it's just a very gentle correction to like, ah, but it's my timing, not yours. 
watch me work. You can help, but let me take the lead on this one. God is God, and, and so I probably don't mess things up too badly, but I things yeah. could be yeah. highly God's, less frustrating right. for everyone involved yeah. if I God keep my mouth really shut. Good, right. God is really good <laughs> at handling you know, inadequate partners. Right. I mean, Which we all are. So God's um, like the yeah, like those of you right, right place, you know, playground, pray about this someday. Your you know, your playground, grade school, you know, trauma of always being the last one pick. When Jesus is captain, he's like, I'll take the short guy. Right. He, right away <laughs> he's he chooses the least likely player. And he's like, You're on my team, man. Right. But he can handle it. I just also want to point out there, I saw what you did there. Like we asked the question, like, so tell us your story. Tell us about your faith journey. And most people, not that this is bad, their first response is, well, about five years ago. And you're like, uh, this morning, I'll tell you about <laughs> right. my faith journey. So I just, right. that was cool. Thank you for doing that. Oh, you're welcome. Just like the implicit is I'm still on the journey. I mean, that wasn't my intention, but I'll take the compliment. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Let's talk about clarifying the win. Again, this is going to be a fun, I hope, uh, maybe slightly embarrassing, but uh, for me, not you, but <laughs> glimpse inside the team dynamics and, and some of the habits we've tried to cultivate in the, mm -hmm. in the parish support team and our, our work together. But I think what we're going to talk about today has application for parents and family and teachers and just any professional. We're going to talk about the practice of clarifying the win. Mm -hmm. So get us started. How would you describe clarifying the win? Yeah. So I had a hard time with this one because I was like, you need clarity about how you win. <laughs> but let me attempt to put it into man, some other man, words. That's deep. <laughs> no. Um, it's exactly what it sounds like, guys. Episode done. So yeah, you you really want your leaders to know what the goal is. What are they chasing after? Because highly effective leaders will run and they'll run in a direction, but it may not be the actual direction you want. So mm -hmm. you really want them to know your goal. And so on our team, we often ask the question, what does winning look like? And we spend mm -hmm. a lot of time having that conversation. And right, peek behind the curtain in the scenes. Whitney is usually the one who's saying, okay, but what do we want? Like, why are we doing this? Like, what is it? And really like you're, you have a temperamental, it's a different working genius and Gallup uh, strengths and stuff, but you have a temperamental disposition that you crave clarity. Mm -hmm. Well, clarity so that I can win. Right. Like I really like winning. Winning's like competitive <laughs> and I love it. Not usually with others, but like if you set a goal, I want to smash it. I want, yeah. I oh, want I'm, to I'm win. I'm the same way. I actually have competition in my top five for Gallup. And, you know, thank God, not not done yet, but it is matured a bit from the, you know, from the 13 year old, I will win. It's matured a little bit to a, we will win, mm -hmm. but you know, let's us figure out how to do this together. Mm -hmm. And that's what, that's why you, but your part of your contribution to the team winning is, hey, what does it look like to win? Mm -hmm. What, how do we score in this little game or in this project endeavor that we're doing? And is the win worth it? It's just got to be. Do we, we really want to play this game? Right. So yeah, what does winning look like? And then within that, there's this challenge of figuring out how to measure it and finding a meaningful answer to what are we winning and how do we measure it can be really quite difficult. So since we're airing all of my foibles, I'm a very, very task-oriented human being uh, to the point that I forget about hospitality and relationship oftentimes, but we are the church. And so being relational, 
being together is really important. But sometimes I hear, go and make disciples. And I say, okay, I'm going to get 100 people or 200. It's it's all about the numbers, mm-hmm. how many, rather than how deep are they going. And right. And you're clarifying the win helps you realize, oh, wait, wait, wait. This is what we're really after, mm-hmm. right? And it, relationship, these people with the Lord, with with our community of faith. Mm-hmm. And admittedly, those things are harder to measure, but I think it's worth trying. Yeah. And we both, just as a, you know, for some of our uh, more nerdy listeners, I love you, but like we both had, you and I have both had some philosophical training. This is really, right, like in the, in the really nerdy, this is like, this is the end, right? This is the tell us, like, what is the end of our labors? What are we looking for? Uh, it, and it really is like when we have clarity about that, it makes all the difference. Mm-hmm. But maybe say, like, why? Like, why does it make a difference? Why, why does, does this matter? So my cheeky first answer is always because we're the church and souls are at stake. We have to win so that we can win others for Jesus. Right. Because uh-huh. we are playing the most important game with the highest stakes. Right. Absolutely. But also there's just some really practical things. Like when you have effective leaders or competent leaders, if you don't give them a direction, they're still going to run. Uh, so you can kind of play an imagination game, right? If mm-hmm. What's it like when when they're all running in a different direction versus when they're all pulling together? Yeah. I, I love how you, you went there because I think the natural tendency, if anyone has been a leader and has had responsibility to help onboard new people, people to, who are new to a role or just new professionally, so they're growing in a skill, there's a lot of labor required of a leader to to give those people clarity about what winning looks like. But I love that your examples are focusing on, yeah, but even for really high-performing leaders, you have to be clear for them about winning, what winning looks like. Because if you don't, they will define it for themselves and they'll be off to the races. And before you know it, <laughs> you've got you know three, four dozen people who are really talented and strong heading in competing or at least not pulling in the same direction. Yeah. Yeah. And I know you've used this example on earlier equip casts, but when you have two horses yoked together or a team of horses yoked yeah. together, you know, again, take that imagination game. Like if they're pulling together, it's great. But if they're not, they'll pull the cart apart. Yeah. If you have thoroughbreds, like they need just as much direction and clarity. It's just a little, mm-hmm. just a little different. Whitney, what are the consequences when we don't do this well? I mean, I think we see it's like, okay, it helps unify people, gives new leaders, very strong, experienced leaders, clarity, and so it helps them work together. Implicit in that, I think, is some productivity. You know, it's like we're actually going to get to the destination more effectively. (laughs) I mean, the obvious one, when people know what winning looks like, they tend to do it more often. Mm -hmm. What What are the consequences of not clarifying the win? Well, again, my immediate answer is we lose souls, right? Because we're just not effective in our work. Uh, like we were saying with the competent leaders pulling in different directions. But also, I think I've learned through working with pastors and associates and evangelization directors over this past couple of years, there's a lot of structures and there's a lot of business that happens in the midst of the church. And if the win isn't defined and we're not like praying about it through the promptings of the Holy Spirit and following like what that, like you were saying, the end is Mm -hmm. his end, then it quickly becomes getting things done. And there's always going to be paperwork. There's always going to be things that we have to do as the church, but that shouldn't be the end. Yeah. I mean, I think it's a temptation in any right business life. I mean, 
you know, I read a fair uh, amount of kind of secular business books or whatever, and they talk about the temptation of just the whirlwind of stuff and all of the stuff that you have to attend to, not all those things bear the same fruit. Mm -hmm. In a business, it might be profit. You know, in church world, it's, you know, souls and changed, mm -hmm. changed lives. Yeah. So we start to check boxes rather than measuring what really matters. So not well, to pick on them. Yeah. Well, it's right. Sorry. It's the trap of activity. Yeah. It's like, how's it going? It's like, oh man, I'm really busy. Lots of activity. But that's like, yeah, but busy wasn't the goal. Right. No, no, no. Yeah. And, or getting all of my paperwork or my emails answered or whatever. Um, all boxes checked. All boxes checked. I, <laughs> I'm going to pick on Ari. I love my DREs that I work with, but I'm going to pick on Ari because again, mm -hmm. this is something that I hear from, especially you know, with our priests, you know, are we just shuttling people through faith formation or are we helping them have a deeper relationship with Jesus? Right. Yeah. Is uh, it, yeah. An assembly line, we're like, woohoo, you know, we, we produced 200 first communicants or 150, you know, confirmandi. Mm -hmm. How many of them came back? Yeah. What does winning really look like? Right. And it's hard because because we want that for people. We want the sacraments for people. But like, this is a common complaint I think any of our listeners can recognize. They probably have themselves is that, you know, we put people through confirmation and then we never see them again. Yeah. Or if they do come back for their high school years because their parents made them, they leave in college. Yeah. And, and to be clear, like there's figuring out the whole like, why do they leave after confirmation? Um, that's a big conversation. Mm -hmm. And we're not trying to fix that today. Except for to say- Or blame anyone. <laughs> yeah, or blame anyone. But to be clear, okay, our goal isn't get these kids confirmed. Our goal is raising up lifelong mm -hmm. disciples. Like that's what winning really looks yeah. like. And although knowing that winning looks like lifelong discipleship and fruitful discipleship at that, missionary discipleship, although knowing that doesn't fix everything, it's hard to fix anything if we're not clear with what winning really looks right. like. Otherwise, yeah, it really just does become, I got 100 people through this program, check my box. Yeah, yeah, it's like the start of it. So Whitney, talk to us a little bit about what are the steps of clarifying the win? How do you actually do it? Because mm -hmm. I think we've fairly effectively made the case that it's helpful, that it matters. Um, I would just highlight there's a flexibility bonus that we haven't maybe touched on <laughs> in that when you develop a habit of clarifying the win, when you run into an obstacle, let's say you're trying to plan a family vacation to Hawaii and you're like, oh, bummer, I can't use all of my you know, frequent flyer miles from Southwest. Oh, I guess I'll book a ticket on American. Oh, there's no flight. Okay, I'm looking into a boat. The ability to change strategy, you don't get tied to a mode or method when you're clear about the win because you're like, well, I, I, that's just a means to mm -hmm. getting there. I, mm -hmm. the, the goal is getting to Hawaii for vacation. So how do I get there? And it actually, ironically, being clear about the win gives people the maximum flexibility to adapt when we run into obstacles and when the circumstances change. Mm, that's a great point. But thank, back thank to- you. Thank <laughs> you. You're welcome, Jim. You're really good at this. <laughs> back to your other question about steps to clarifying the win. Yeah, I think how do we do it? I think I'd like to give an example before we get Ooh, to the please. steps. I do have some for you. So I want to give an example from our team because that's obviously just what I know best. 
So we have a project that we work on every year called Live Lent Together. Mm -hmm. uh, there was an equipped cast a couple of weeks ago, if you guys want to go back and listen to it, but uh, I'll give a, a rundown of what it is. So it's a, a Lenten program that we promote with all of our parishes. It's a six-week small group program. And we call it small group because we don't want to promote it as a, as a Bible study because it's really about bringing together a community of people and deepening their experience of prayer. So yeah. you come together every week in Lent and you pray with the scriptures and maybe eat a meal, share communal life together. Yeah. I mean, we're hoping it's going to be a movement, but essentially what it is, it's yeah, people gathering together, small groups with each other around the word of God for the season of Lent. Mm -hmm. So we set a goal in January to train 300 small group leaders and to have half of those at least start a small group. So train 300 have 150 small groups started. And I know I said earlier that it's totally not about the numbers, but we had to have somewhere to start, something yeah. to measure. Could we even get people to lead a small group? But if that's the only thing that we cared about was the numbers, we would say that, well, we wildly exceeded expectations. We had 600... Yeah, the numbers were good. Right. They were great. We had a large amount go through the training and... Over 600... Uh, yeah, 627 to be exact, and a little like 440-something, 45, uh, actually start a group, which is, you know, if you do the math on the numbers of people in groups, it was somewhere in the 2000s, right? Yeah. So, And we thought we were setting a stretch goal at 300. Mm -hmm. So this was way wildly beyond our expectations. And so we could just pat ourselves on the back, but if all we were measuring was numbers, I'd probably expect Live Lent Together to die like all small group initiatives have in this diocese. Yeah. This is the fun part. This is when like Jim's like, woohoo, let's get smoothies and celebrate. This is great. We had our goals. Whitney's like, maybe. <laughs> like, but it wasn't a good goal. Yeah, is and this what we really want? This is going to die and I'm going to let it. I'll probably help you kill it. I'm like, shut up and drink <laughs> your smoothie. We're celebrating now. <laughs> no, it's good. It's good because I, I think your natural dispositional desire for clarity helped us get even deeper to recognize like, hey, what do we really want here? <laughs> yeah. And so what what do we really want, I think, is the question. So as we ask this, what is our win? And to be clear, this was not a one-time conversation. Any project or any work that our team does, it's just like an ongoing what are we really running after? And so yeah. in the midst of a lot of conversations, it wasn't the numbers, even though that's what we were measuring. It really is like how many lives were shared through community building, how many people experienced a deeper sense of prayer, connection to Jesus. And obviously those are hard to measure, but how many people took their first step into mission, led a group for the first time, and how many unchurched or like new people were invited into groups? How many mm -hmm. people stretched themselves on who they were inviting? And that, that's huge. I just want to point out because it's a good thing for Christians to get together and just pray. And mm -hmm. it's a good thing when, you know, a, a gaps in a sense of loneliness, especially post-COVID world, you know, when when community is built in strength and all of those are good things. Mm -hmm. But what we really wanted was a vehicle for people to take their first step into mission and a very easy, like, first entry point for mm -hmm. people who are unchurched or have been away for a while to have a place where they can connect. Mm -hmm. That's what we really wanted. And that's why we were so excited about the format, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, exactly. And so, 
you know, again, this comes back to measurement. Like we just can't put numbers to this. And and what you're saying reminds me of a story. So we we took a survey and we, you know, those of us who had the opportunity in the parishes to hear from people, we paid very close attention to the anecdotal evidence. Like was what we defined as winning actually happening. Right. The comment boxes. Yeah. So just real quick, you know, I have an acquaintance at my own parish. So happened to sit next to her during our training for Live Lent Together. And she told me that her goal was just, she just wanted to invite the daily mass going moms that she saw around her because she wanted a community mm-hmm. of other mothers. And I didn't dissuade her from that because that is good. Like Jim was just saying, like we need those It's really things. good. It's essential. Yeah. But that's not counted as a win for our purposes on our team. Right. It's still beautiful. It's still good. We do want that happening. The win was when after Lent, I talked to her and she said, okay, now that I have this community of women I can go back to, I want other women to have what I have. And so I want to get into the school where there are moms who don't go to daily mass for sure and probably don't show up on the weekends either. Mm -hmm. And I'd like to start a small group with them. And so as she was expressing a missional mindset, that's our win. Yeah. It really is like our clarity about the win has changed the way we do the training. The Mm -hmm. trainings were initially very, they were all run by staff and we've been able to diffuse that more widely Mm -hmm. uh, to make it more accessible. We've also been very determined to make sure that the materials are highly accessible for those who are new to the faith, precisely because that that's what they need. And there's just a number of things like clarity about that win rippled out into a whole bunch of other mm-hmm. things. And yeah, I love it. You, you shared that story. I'll give uh, Nick Rock and uh, the St. Margaret Mary community a shout out. You know, Nick was able to to notice a, a number of people, including family members, who were stepping out in mission for the first time. And many of them, he's like, "You don't understand. This isn't this isn't their thing." But they found a methodology mm-hmm. and a communal experience. Hey, we're all doing this for Lent. Come on, it's only six weeks. Do you really want to give up chocolate again? <laughs> like they found an opportunity to like, oh, I can do this mission thing. When oftentimes the call to mission, which faithful Catholics are starting to hear, they're like, yeah, I think Pope Francis wants me to love poor people and to share my faith. I think I know what it means to love poor people. I don't really know what it means to share my faith, or I don't know how to get started. And this is a, here's how you get started. (laughs) Yeah. And so to be clear though, like we're just sharing two stories, but if we didn't hear these on repeat, this is maybe I'm going to um, share an insight into Jim and yeah. something I poke at a lot. He'll come up with one story and I say, is that an isolated incident or is it happening more? Is it repeatable? Is it like, is it really true that right. this is changing things? And overwhelmingly, we heard from leader after leader that something very unique and special happened mm-hmm. in these groups. And so that's how we know we won. It wasn't one or two stories. It was on repeat yeah, they stories. Were, yeah, dozen and and people are like, yeah, we did this with my I did this with my you know my neighbors, my Muslim neighbors. We're like, okay, <laughs> we're gonna we're gonna count that as mission. Like, and we still want to meet. Holy cow. They don't hate us afterwards. Yeah, Saint Francis didn't have a great track record trying to evangelize Muslims. <laughs> so go get them. I mean, it's yeah, it was very very encouraging. So okay, so that's an example that was huge for us. Mm-hmm. Then back us into this, then what are the steps? What are the steps? I have five laid out. And the first is just to gather some leaders because you should never do 
anything in isolation. Jesus sent his disciples two by two and where two or more are gathered and we are the body, not the singular part of the body. So anyway, maybe I'm harping on a, I'm on no, my I, soapbox. I, I love that though, but it is a group, it is a group thing. And I would just highlight, not only are you more likely to, you know, with multiple minds, but having a clear win doesn't provide unity if it's just stuck in one person's yeah, head. True. So having a group, not just discern it together uh, or like begin to kind of discover and articulate it, but then they own it because they're like, yeah, this is worth it for me. Yeah. So gather those leaders and just argue about it, like really wrestle with it, invite the Holy Spirit into it, which is maybe step two, but wrestle with it, ask them, what does success look like for your program? And then constantly redirect them to focus on lives changed rather than numbers reached. You might end up measuring a number, but your win is lives changed. Well, and when you know what the win is, the number you measure likely changes and the anecdotes that you pay attention to and really celebrate likely change. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So to reiterate, step one is gather some leaders and argue about it. Check. Which our team is very good at. We yeah. like to argue. Step two is to pray about it. And you can start with prayer when you gather your leaders. I don't care when you do it. You'll probably have to do it constantly and on mm -hmm. repeat, but pray about it and invite the Holy Spirit into that conversation. And if I can get a glimpse into what this looks like and feels like, there are a variety of, again, you know, check out the EquipCast episode, skill demo on leading a discernment rosary. But whether you do a discernment rosary or whether it's just intentional silence or some sort of lexio and silence together, what happens is often there are desires that show up in, you know, like, okay, we're praying. It's like, okay, what do we want, Lord? You know, please, what do you want from this? What does winning look like for you? And people start to show up, anecdotes, desires, and when Again, with a listening mindset, when the group shares those, you can start to see like, yeah, I mean, of course we want a whole bunch of people to do this. And of course we want people to have a deep experience of prayer. But as this person shared about, you know, this awesome person in their life who was coming up in their prayer who they love, but they would just like to take a step to share what's inside them. And as this person, you know, was expressing a disappointment with like, I'm just afraid that this is going to all come to an end and we're going to go through all this work and it's not really going to change anything. Like as you listen together to the desires and the images and stories that are popping into people's minds, you can begin to recognize a theme, which again, for our Live Land Together example was like, yeah, we want this to be a first step on mission. Mm -hmm. Okay. So gather your leaders. Check. Argue and pray about it. Check. And then figure out how to measure your success. Okay, that's number three. Right? Yeah, that's number three. Figure out how to measure your success. Because in ministry, this can be very hard, but you really, you can't manage what you can't measure. So you're always going to be relying on Jim's one offhand story that things are going really well if you're not actually measuring it. And so going back to the Live Lent, exa Live Lent Together example, so we were still measuring groups that are launched, but this year we're also going to measure our interactions with the parishes. How are we helping them go deeper, specifically in building successful and support for their hopefully more and larger number of groups? Yeah. And, you know, we won't stop taking the anecdotal evidence around our lives actually being changed. Yeah. 
because again, you said this at the beginning, measurement is essential, but in the highly quantified world we live in, uh, which tends to be dom dominated by, you know, professional and amateur athletics in the business world, what we're trying to measure is admittedly often what we're really trying to measure is invisible. Mm -hmm. But it doesn't mean that we can't pay attention to anecdotes. Mm -hmm. And they're often the helpful. I mean, there's a there's a great story uh, in the book, Good to Great. There's an addendum that came out because the author, although he wrote it for a business audience, was surprised at how many pastors and nonprofit leaders were reading the book. And so he wrote a second one, you know, because he talks about the importance of measurement. So he, he wrote it for the nonprofit kind of church sector. And he gives all these examples. One of my favorite ones is the Cincinnati Symphony Orchestra. You know, it's like, we want to be a great orchestra. I mean, how many tickets you sell kind of helps with that or kind of gives you a clue into that. But they realize they're like, no, we're going to, as best we can, pay attention to the anecdotal evidence, which is standing ovations. How many standing ovations do we get? How long do they last? And they, they actually started to count those things as a way to say, are we performing well? Are we stirring people's hearts and minds? Are we creating the experience with the music that we desire? And I just love that. That's that's cool. Again, for you know, for us, we're we're looking for anecdotes of people talking about how easy it was for them to step into mission for the first time mm -hmm. and to see their hearts grow from, man, I love this group, but now I'm noticing all these people who don't have this experience, the, you know, the other moms at school who may not come to church as, as regularly as I do, like, oh my gosh, like I want this for them. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Exactly. So step four then is to create a scoreboard. This is not super appealing to everybody, but I think it's really helpful when it comes to accountability. Yeah. Um, it's a way, you, do, you just don't want to wait till the end to measure your success. So you want to measure as you go. So I, I have an example for this. So, you know, I talked about the Cincinnati Symphony Orchestra. For Catholics, mass attendance is kind of like attendance at a concert. I mean, it's a real problem if nobody's coming and if the number of people coming keeps dwindling. But we want more than just people's butts and pews. Right? We want this kind of full, conscious, and active participation. And even more than that, we want the, you know, ita misa est, the sending, the mass is over, the sending out at the end of mass, we want that to be fruitful. Well, I mean, how can you measure those things? How can you measure whether people are really connecting, you know, to the liturgy, whether they have full, conscious, and active participation, whether you are bringing the community together? Well, maybe, like the orchestra, Besides just counting how many people show up, maybe you count how many people and how long they linger afterwards, mm. right? Does, does this encounter with the Eucharist seem to have knit us together in community so that we actually want to talk to each other after Mass is over? Just an idea. But that would be an example of translating uh, some of the, the principles and, and the technique. And you wouldn't just do it once. You'd actually create a scoreboard. Right. On repeat. And I guess, so now that as you're talking, I'm like, let's come up with going back to Live Lent together. So, yeah. you know, we measured the people signing up for Live Lent together as 
it went. We didn't just wait until it was all over to say, how many people did we get? Because there were opportunities if we weren't meeting our goals to go to a parish leader who was maybe promoting it and help them promote it better yeah. or understand it on a deeper level. And so it's kind of like if if you set a goal to lose 10 pounds and then you you know went six months without measuring your weight, you yeah. know, you want to do it regularly because then you're also going to start noticing like, you know, am I getting regular sleep, drinking enough water? Am I actually cutting back on calories and doing more exercise? Because if you're not doing those things and you're right. not regularly measuring yourself, then like... Yeah, we can adjust know. our behavior. I mean, we would look, we would pay attention to the registrations every week and we would adjust then and our messaging because what we would realize sometimes like, oh, we thought we communicated about this to some key parish leaders, but we're noticing... You know, these three parishes don't have anybody signed up yet. Mm -hmm. We're pretty sure our communication didn't work there. And we had a chance to, to adjust and try again. And it made all the difference. Yep, exactly. Okay, so gather leaders and argue. Invite the Holy Spirit. Figure out how to measure, even if it's just anecdotes. Create a scoreboard. So you're, you're measuring on repeat. What's number five? Do it again. <laughs> Repeat yourself. Uh, and this is in two ways, both verbally. You have to be what Patrick Lencioni calls the CRO for your group, the chief reminding officer. Because if you're not reminding them why, you're going to hit a, a roadblock soon where someone goes, why are we even doing this? Yeah. That's Beth Carlson on our team, by the yeah, way. That's the, yeah, <laughs> so. and this is the, this is the repeat. You mean like you're reminding people in varied and creative ways, this is what winning looks like. Right, right. Uh, that's that's powerful for two things. One, I mean, I can think of a couple of reasons. Sometimes work is a drag. I mean, I, I know you're like really? never. I love I my they, work. And I thought they worked at the chancery. Everything is it's all peaches and cream. It's okay, always, it's always grace and <laughs> consolation here. Remembering why we're really doing something. I mean, I, I know many of our listeners have probably heard the example of you know the three men who were working at building a cathedral, and you know the. The, the bishop walks by and he's like, hey, tell me, sir, what are you, what are you doing here? And he's like, I'm laying bricks. <laughs> and then you know goes to the next man and he's like, well, what are you doing here? He's like, well, I'm, I'm building a wall. And then he goes to the third, well, what are you doing? He's like, I'm building a cathedral. Hmm. And remembering what the win is, that big umbrella win, how cool would it be, you know, for all of us from, you know, within a parish to like, I'm saving souls. Like, you're actually just processing payroll. I know, but I'm processing payroll for people who are embodying the love of Christ to members inside and outside our community. I'm saving souls. That, it, it helps people persevere when it gets hard. It helps people back to that flexibility. It helps people remember, okay, I don't have to stay stuck on a methodology here. That's not what it's about. It's about saving souls. And on and on and on, the unity it provides, like continuing to repeat and in creative fashion, what the win is, is huge. Yeah. But there's another way you have to repeat it. <laughs> you have to repeat the entire process because as we alluded to earlier, our mm -hmm. team argues constantly about what the win is, even in the midst of the program or whatever we're working sure. there's on. There's a deepening... Mm -hmm. understanding of what are we really trying to do? Here. Yeah. And it just keeps us on track because maybe our initial goal was good, but it was just 
slightly off of what it needed to be. And the Holy mm-hmm. Spirit's, you know, opened up something new for us. And so if we keep bringing it up with each other and we keep kind of course correcting, it's important. So you have to keep gathering and keep talking about these things because uh, it's only going to get better. And you'll probably, if it was a successful program, I'm assuming you'll repeat it. So the next year you want to go a little deeper anyway. Yeah, no, it, it is huge. And it, I, I appreciate you're saying that because there's a human element to this. We want to pray and think and discuss and say, okay, what, what are we really trying to do here? What, like, what does winning look like? What does it feel like? What does it sound like? What are we going to celebrate? But there's a limit to how effectively we can do that. And just to be patient and human with ourselves, we're like, yeah, I thought we really just wanted the room full. But now I realize we don't just want the room full. We actually want it, the room full with people gathered in teams. Because when they're gathered in teams, they're far more likely to be successful at implementing the skill they're being taught. And then that kind of reveals another level. It's like, yeah, what we really want is we want them to do it. I mean, <laughs> we kind of want them to come to the workshop so we don't look stupid. But more than that, we want the workshop to help change people's behavior and to help them be more fruitful. And it, to give yourself patience and like, okay, we're going to continue to refine and define our win. That's just, yeah, very human and a great, great expectation. So Whitney, like, where have you seen, and we talked about Livlin together, any other places you've seen this at, at work or any examples you want to, uh, other examples you want to highlight? The only other examples I have prepared, it looks like, are just, you know, I do this personally. I have scoreboards for everything. You know, I'm constantly, especially, I don't know how much our audience knows, you know, we're in a lot of conversations with a lot of a lot of people throughout the week. And mm-hmm. so I set goals with all of my pastors and people. And I ask myself, what does winning look like? And it's, it's, dependent Mm -hmm. upon the person. Obviously, one pastor, it's that he can clearly name his next steps by the end of our conversation. For another, it's that he cracks a joke because I am building trust with him right now. And I just want to know that I've succeeded in that. And he's whatever is on his plate Mm -hmm. feels manageable enough that he's free to be himself in front of me. Uh, And then I have a scoreboard where I keep track of how often I'm in conversation with them and how well that's going. I'm glad you brought that up. I don't want to take us too far on a tangent, but we are big fans of the the Gallup uh, methodology or the Strengths Finder and the Working Genius. Both of those are very helpful. Working Genius is from you know Patrick Lencioni in the in the Table Group. Both of those are very helpful in kind of revealing particular skills and strengths that people have as they approach their labors. I think we've been discovering lately that. I think I'll highlight your step number two, part of the importance of inviting the Lord into our process of defining the win is very often we can define the win in a way that is subtly beyond or off from what the Lord is asking us. So for those who are familiar with the Lencioni uh, working genius, two of my favorite, right? Invention and galvanizing. Uh, galvanizing is the, hey, everybody, kind of gets everybody rallied around and pointed in the same direction. Invention, just like you might imagine, is you know about like kind of new ideas and providing a path uh, forward. If you're an inventor and you want to provide, like you're gifted and, and you're a genius is to help provide a path forward, but you're not a natural galvanizer, if you accidentally misdefine 
like what winning looks like to be galvanizing or mobilizing or getting everybody moving, man, you're going to feel like a failure all the time. <laughs> it, and, and similarly, you know, it's like if you're, if you're a galvanizer and you're really good at getting people moving and you have somehow misdefined winning as coming up with new and creative ideas, that could be really desolating and really discouraging. And again, there's no guarantee because, you know, listening uh, deeply uh, is the trick to all this. But when we invite the Lord into helping us define what success looks like, what winning looks like, what the real goal is, he often defines that in a way that fits us. Mm -hmm. And especially if we're not working in isolation, i.e. we're part of a team and we're embracing the, you know, like the idea that like, yeah, I am, I'm just a hand and I don't get very far without a foot <laughs> and a leg and a body and, and a head directing the whole thing. Man, it's so freeing to say like, okay, this is what the Lord has asked for me. This is my contribution to, to winning. And I can't do it alone, but it's just not helpful if I'm, you know, made to be a hand and I try and be a foot. Yeah, I totally, that's what I was going to say as I was listening to you is unless you're thing from the Adams family, you do oh, need just the hand, ah, just the that's hand. What, that's, that's all I great. could think of. <laughs> um, you, uh, you do need a team and to just to get back on my soapbox real quick again, the Lord is calling us into that. He, he never asks anyone to go alone. I love it. So, okay. Just like pro tips here. What are some obstacles that often keep us from putting this into practice? Yeah. Busyness, I think is probably the first thing. There's a lot of work to be done for Jesus, for the church, for your pastor, for whoever is asking a lot of different things from you. Yeah. Um, and busyness and giving it the, t the time that it needs, uh, especially because we talked about that those repetitive conversations and going back to prayer and then gathering your team again and just doing that repetitively. It does take time. And so you have to be able to prioritize and put aside the busyness, which is difficult. It's, of course. Right. Because- it is the obstacle. It's like, I can't stop and take time to decide, are we headed the right direction? Because I'm making such good progress. Or more accurately, I'm already running behind. So I'm just going to go as fast as I can. And I'm not going to ask the question if I'm headed in the right direction. Which is a subtle, it's one of those things, um, a subtle lie of the, of the devil, right? Is mm -hmm. You don't have time to yeah. pause and pray and think about these things and gather a team because I want you to keep running in the wrong direction or to run hard at something that's not as important as it could be. Yeah, to spend yourself not where the Lord is asking. Yeah. He's really good at that. <laughs> what, what, what else, Whitney? What are some obstacles? Um, I think the other obstacle that a lot of people, especially as they're hearing, you know, I, I know I'm saying it's not a numbers game, but you got to measure it, is that we are in fact making it into a numbers game. Sure. It could feel too worldly, corporate, whatever mm -hmm. to people. Yeah. Yeah. Especially once you start measuring things, it definitely starts to feel like, like the Lord isn't asking me to be successful. He's just asking me to be faithful. You know, sorry, the famous sure. Mother, yeah, Teresa Mother Teresa quote. quote. Yeah. She's um, rolling over in her grave right now. Because <laughs> uh, I don't think that's what she meant. And she, I think she would come back to say, what does faithful look like? Right. Yeah. Tell me. Yeah. It's all about being faithful, not being successful. What What is faithful? Define faithful. Yeah. Right. In this particular instance, in this situation, this moment that you find yourself. So. Yeah. All right, Whitney, any, like, just because we've covered a lot of ground here, any last, like, 
this is like, if you're just, somebody's listening and like, okay, I want to do this. Like, I'm sorry, I've got the steps and I'm, but what, like one thing to kind of get started. Yeah. I would say, give me a call. Cause it is a lot, it's a lot of steps. And then like brainstorming, like what does a scoreboard even look like? And, you know, just call me or anyone that you're comfortable with Mm -hmm. on the coaching team or answer one of our flock notes. I'm usually in the background reading those yeah. comments anyway. So, and and we'll put you in touch with someone who can maybe just walk you through the process because we can be your first team until you find who those other people are. Yeah. It's a habit and to develop the habit, it's okay to start with a little bit of a momentum and, you know, someone who's who's done it before. The whole goal is yeah, to develop a habit where it just becomes second nature to who you are and what you do. Mm-hmm. Okay. If you appreciated today's conversation, before you get home and like get back and like walk that, you know, get finished walking the dog or arrive at your destination, share this out with someone who you know needs to hear it, who would appreciate it and benefit from it. Also, highly recommend the book, The Seven Practices of Effective Ministry by Andy Stanley and team. He wrote it with a, with a group of people. Uh, we'll link to it in the show notes. It's called The Seven Practices of Highly Effective Ministry. It's great. It's really, really good stuff. This is like chapter one or something like that. Anyway, a great practice that we've embraced in our labors, and we hope it's a blessing for you. Amen. <laughs> All right. Thanks for being with us, Whitney. Thanks See you, everybody. Me.